Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hey everybody, um, I'm here, uh, this is Jason Rodenbeck um, with Plowshares and I'm here with a good friend that I have recently met uh, through Dave Rawls and Dave Rawls has been a part of the Plowshares community for a while. Um, he introduced me to a guy named Corby and he told me that, um, I think actually Corby and I both commented on, a, on something Dave had posted on social media and if I remember correctly, Dave's comment was, I have thought about introducing you guys, but I was afraid because you're so very similar in the way you talk about things that uh, I think he had this idea that it was going to cause some kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of event, cosmic event where the universe folds in on itself or something like that. Um, Corby is an artist, and he's an artist whose, whose work I have been thoroughly impressed with and I've loved it. I've got one piece. I've got another one that's going to be shipped to me pretty soon. Corby uh, is in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. He works for Central Michigan University, went to Great Lakes uh, Christian College. Corby, uh, tell us a little bit about your, you're a painter, obviously. You're, you're also, you do caricatures. How would you describe the, the style of art that you do and, and the kind of paintings that you do? I like to think of my art as folk pop, that it is uh, folk in the sense that I have had very little uh, true artistic training, Um, and pop in the sense that I like bright, ridiculous colors, uh, themes that are wacky, uh, and just the, the type of elements that make up of a very quickly evaporating pop culture. Uh, it, it comes, it's funny, it goes away. Um, and putting those two together sometimes creates um, a, some, just stuff that makes me laugh, stuff that's ironic, and uh, it also allows me an entryway into um, themes that you would not expect. As I've looked at the stuff you've painted, and you you were rec- recently had a um, uh, a display uh, in your town there. Uh, I uh, it seemed it was a sort of temporary display, uh, and uh, some of the stuff you've shared on on Facebook uh, that it seems like a pretty apt description. What are the artists who've influenced you the most? Like, if you were going to compare yourself to somebody, what artists have influenced you the most? And I'll also add tack this on. Some of the music you shared that you're listening to, I'm like, that is, <laughs> that is out there. I mean, I haven't heard it or seen it in forever. Some of the movies you watch, who are the artists who've influenced you and what kind of art and music inspires you? That, good grief. Now I'm going to talk for at least 45 minutes on that <laughs> question alone. We can go as long as we need to. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, say how long people will listen, but we can that's right. talk They've already shut us off, so we're good. <laughs> now we can talk freely. Um, When it comes to artists, um, I like to have a wide range of of choices of of influence, but probably no one has uh, made me more moved than Edward Hopper. Uh, Ed Hopper is from the 20th century. Uh, His subjects are rather plain. Uh, They're 
all of his people are incredibly isolated and seemingly lonely. Um, and that includes the paintings that have sometimes multiple people in them. They are all lost in thought. Um, and many, many of his works just tell these incredibly dramatic stories of how these characters have come to this place in their life. Um, and it's almost like they've, they've stopped and they've reached disillusionment. Um, and I have, have been amazed by his work for, for most of my life. Now, when you compare him to almost any of the artists of the 20th century, he is nothing like them. He takes a much more traditional approach. He doesn't go into cubism. He doesn't do abstract expressionism. Uh, he's not even pop, but he also isn't boring landscapes, which is what I think everything else is left. Uh, he, he has a way of bringing beauty to some of the most mundane things. And growing up in rural Indiana, there is no better word to describe it than mundane. Uh, and so there was something. Being a Hoosier, uh, I can completely identify with that, yeah. And there's something quite wonderful about it. Yeah. There's no put on show. There's nothing that makes it gussied up. It just is. It just is uh, very homespun. Uh, so he, he can even have. He even has paintings of like interiors of office buildings. Who paints inside of an office building? So boring. Uh, and yet the, I can't stop looking at them. Uh, I just. I just find his people so uh, intriguing. What is it that would capture you about what's beautiful about the inside of an office building? Oh gosh, the grayness of the steel case furniture, the um, the ubiquitous the ubiquity of like the pens and the things you need to just do your daily job. I work in an office, so I get this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the industriousness of a stapler. I mean, it's those kinds of things that I find really kind of beautiful. Um, there, there are places who have tried to make those things cool, and those are lame. Give me right. something that is industrial looking, but is worn and has a warmth to it, uh, and is still usable. And I love that. It, it reminds me, as you're saying that, it reminds me of the show The Office, which, uh, of course, obviously is a huge part of pop culture, uh, especially in the early 2000s. But there was something about the blandness of the of the situation, the setting, that made the people sort of stand out right. more. That there's a story happening. That when you look at the stapler, you look at the pens. Yeah, it's kind of bland and it's it's um, gray and it's blank, but there's people using those and there's people around it. What is it uh, about an artist or a musician that makes you look at them and say, this person's really doing something that's different? This person's really doing something that when I see what they're doing, I think there's something about me that I want to explore. In the case of Hopper, that's kind of the funny thing, is that he wasn't necessarily doing something different if, except for the fact that he was, go, he was moving through the 20th century 
so traditionally, but it was the way he painted his subjects. It was the subjects, it was what was behind the subjects that was just as modern and cutting edge as anything the, the big guys were doing. Mm. Um, that I just find so intriguing. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier to find many, many artists now Instagram and the internet and mm -hmm. uh, being able to, to just seek out new artists who are who are trying new avenues but um, just because there's so many of them to choose from doesn't mean that they're all good of course or or that they're really saying anything unique and I'm not claiming to say anything unique I just am doing what I'm going to do naturally that I'm inspired by well and I think that's a great segue into the question that I wanted to ask next because um, you said you don't feel like you're doing anything unique several weeks ago I mentioned that I would I was interested in interviewing you and I had told you about an artist that I'd interviewed that I uh, down in Florida a, a woman named Lily who does the this iconography that uh, she pieces together out of plywood and we've got a, there's a piece behind me right here that she did for us um, and I said I'd be interested in interviewing you because I'm interested in artists I'm interested in what makes them tick you know what they think and their faith your response to me I will not forget you said I paint underwear right. and <laughs> I showed it to my wife I was like I like this guy so much I paint underwear what would you want here well when I, I mean, I've looked at a lot of your paintings now, and not as many as I mean, you've been painting a lot longer than I've known you. But the subjects are are, are eclectic to me. I think Dave has a painting that you did of a cup of coffee. I have a painting that you did of a camper. And one of the reasons I was interested in it, my wife and I would love to have a little camper sometime that we can go and just get away from everybody. And but it it just it it spoke to me. Um, you paint animals, you paint um, underwear, you paint a lot of very whimsical stuff. And the uh, folks, the underwear, it honest to God, it's a painting of a pair of briefs. But it's there's something. It's funny. It's funny. It's it's colorful. I, it, it you could put it on your wall. Your mother-in-law, you might want to take it down for. Her, but th there are also a lot of others that are very serious minded and, and I think even prophetic that I want to share um, some of these in a little bit. I mean, you've got Bible stories that have contemporary settings and I know you've, you've tackled justice issues. I know the kinds of things that you are concerned about um, just from talking to you online and, and some of our interactions when you are, when you're going to paint something, when you're, when you're inspired to paint is, I don't. As somebody who writes, sometimes the the urge to write comes first. Sometimes the idea comes first. How do you pick a subject? What is it about something that that makes you say, "I want to paint that," or um, what is it that makes you paint something that 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 makes you choose a subject? It the subjects choose me, um, and it, as long as there is quite often. I don't go looking for it, but if the but if there is a juxtaposition of things that just don't belong together, uh, that's where the spark happens. Um, when it comes to 
something like art, this highfalutin, you know, only for the elite art, and then yeah. I've made a picture of underwear, there's the juxtaposition. It's just silly. I love it. And it, it's, it's never been meant to be anything but a pair of underwear, uh, and yet that is, it has become what I'm known for, and people around town me is, are like, hey, the underwear guy. <laughs> and they and they find it silly, um, and that's I like that idea of bringing art down, so mm. where where we all can enjoy it and see that it is to be enjoyed, and you don't have to understand it or think deep about it to appreciate it. But all the rest of that comes later. It comes in time. It will happen. Um, but it's it, it's to be seen that art is beautiful things all around and I just I find those simple everyday things quite lovely underwear is lovely you can <laughs> write that down <laughs> oh I, I I don't have to I, I'm, I'm listening to <laughs> underwear yeah underwear is and and that's a great example like it's it's I mean every one of us hopefully is is putting on a pair every day <laughs> so but it, it's an everyday thing. It's a deeply personal thing. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty close to us. It's kind of a very human thing. But you don't just, it doesn't just stop there. You've also, you have much more complex themes as well. Let's talk about the juxtaposition. Go ahead. To, um, one of my favorite pieces that, that is very personal to me that I've done is called Protest. And it is taken from, uh, I'm going to get the date wrong because I'm terrible at history. I'm going to say 1965. You can, anybody can critique me if I've got the date wrong, but this uh. is in Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Ralph Abernathy were leading a large constituency of people to the courthouse to register to vote. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, the police shut them down. They said that they did not have a permit to have a parade. Oh, Lord. Uh, so they made they made out a prayer circle out of it. And there are lots of images, uh, black and white, beautiful black and white images of uh, Dr. King and Dr. Abernathy kneeling in prayer. Um, and they used that in a sense as a form of protest. Fast forward to the NFL and Colin Kaepernick in a similar type of situation in which uh, he wanted to make a statement for how black people were being treated in our American culture, uh, he knelt. And that caused a stink. So there's the juxtaposition. Now this time it didn't make me laugh. It broke my heart. Right. And I knew that I had to bring that in my style to a way, to an audience that would see, um, especially an audience of people who are prayers, who would see kneeling is a form of protest. Uh, and, and even Martin Luther King Jr., who you recognize as someone who is a, a man to be followed, has knelt and knelt in prayer as a form of protest. Wow. And that brought the whole thing together, and I, I still, I, I still look at that painting. I'm so happy that that painting came out of me, <laughs> almost on its own accord. So it reminds me uh, what we're talking about here when it comes to subject. Um, 
it, you remind me a lot. I've when I've looked at your paintings, I've I've been reminded a lot of Bill Watterson. Calvin and Hobbes was always a favorite cartoon always. of mine. Uh, I, I had a book, but it was a book of some of his favorite cartoons, and then he wrote um, commentary. And, I, and I'll never I'll never get this completely correct, but uh, in one of them, it shows Calvin and uh, talking to Hobbes about art. And he looks at the, you know, these famous um, high art paintings and he says, the painting, high art. The cartoon, low art. Philistine, low art. This high art, this low art. And as I've looked at what you've done, and I, and I realize that you are, you've kind of said, so I don't have a huge history of, of classical training in this, but what you're doing is real earthy real people thinking about the real world we live in and on the one hand you're you're doing things like a, a cat or a dog an object or a still life that that everybody sees every day in their life and on the other hand you're dealing in a real personal way with real actual people and real actual issues that are deep and that ha that say something profound. I, I know there's one I'm going to share. I, I don't think this video will ever make it. I'm going to do a video as a companion to this audio where I show some of these paintings. But one such painting that just tore me up, and just so we can both look at it at the same time, I, I want to make sure I understand. This you called Enunciation. Yes. Am, I, am I looking at it? Can you tell me about this painting? It, now, for the folks that are just listening and don't hear it, it's I, to me, I, I, with what little art training I had, and it's very little, I would almost call this cubist. Um, but I don't know enough to be dangerous. There's a, pic, a picture of a young girl. She's sitting near a window looking at a, lot, a lamp that is unplugged hanging in a window that's shaped like a star. It, she's got a halo, a giant eye. And when I saw this, I, it, it was breathtaking. I, it just, and I told, I showed, I, can't, I went upstairs to my wife and I said, Vanjie, look at this. And we both just stared at it for the longest time. Tell me what, what this is and, and what made you paint this. Explain this. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, that is, it's interesting to hear something described on the outside of me and seeing that, how it's, how it has affected you. Um, I, I jokingly called this with my friend Brian, who is a Greek theologian of, I don't, he, I don't know how Greek, um, he's, he's very smart. <laughs> <laughs> he reads uh, Greek somehow. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we, uh, he, uh, laughs that I call it not the Annunciation, which is the moment that Mary was told she's going to have a baby, but it's called the Annunciation. The Annunciation. As if to say, this is a very pronounced moment, and uh, that just made me giggle. Um, but this is a modern-day version of Mary, and she is decorating for Christmas. Uh, in her left hand, she has the doll, the Mary doll from the Nativity, um, and it's it's just something that she's holding on to because she was about 
put it up for display. And that was, I needed that doll in there to, to kind of connect the, the theme of who this is. Um, she's, she's startled. Her position is a position of being startled. Uh, and that's the right word because it is a star that she's mm -hmm. looking at, a Christmas decoration that she has hung up to be lit. Now, the important part of this is when you see her and you follow her eye and you see the star and then you follow the cord down, it's unplugged. So this is a star that is lit almost miraculously. And it's that moment that she is startled uh, and it's a very pronounced moment in which she is being told something is about to happen. In my dad's <laughs> living room, by the way, that's where a lot of my paintings take place. In your dad's living room? My dad's living room. The thing about it is her, obviously her eye and, the, and her face, there's a humanness about it that it's very expressive of innocence and of willingness and openness, I, 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 don't, I don't have other words to give to it other than I, th I thought it was beautiful. So there's a, there's a humanity to it that, I, have, that I, I can't put my finger on. Let me ask you about another one. I'm going to open the, another one up, and hopefully you can. And again, this will be on uh, uh, for folks that are wanting to know what we're talking about. Um, I'll uh, hopefully I'll we'll, you'll be able to see these. One that I'm thinking about is this. It's called uh, the Last Snack, and hopefully I'm going to pull it up here. So when I see the Last Snack, I'm I feel like I'm seeing three guys. One of them's got a ball cap. One looks like he maybe have a goatee, and the other is uh, got his arms crossed. Tell me about this painting. This one is probably one of my dearest paintings, and it will, it will not ever be sold. This one is mine. Um, around 2004, um, I knew that my youth ministry was coming to an end. Um, mm. It was not something I was choosing to happen, but it was, it was being chosen for me. Uh -huh. um, and I knew that... Um, a lot of the guys who I got to mentor in my youth group were, we were going to have to part ways. Um, it was coming to that point. These three guys, it's Kirk on the left, Jared in the middle, we would meet regularly for Bible study and they would horse around and we would talk and laugh and we, we had a really great uh, experience together getting to do these Bible studies that we had done for their entire high school career up to this spring when I was about to, to leave. Um, they knew that I was, I had recently returned to painting and was taking it seriously. And they were like, Corby, because we were in my art studio when we were hanging out this one, one particular day. They're like, Corby, would you paint us? We've talked about this. Would you paint us? And I was like, you guys, you just want to get out of Bible study is all this is. And they're like, no, we want to see what you would do if you if you painted the three of us so now the, the painting the original painting I did this is not it but it is it is I started with just black paints outlined the three of them I told them not to move too much they were sitting on the couch they were horsing around the whole time they were having snacks um, we talked we laughed it was probably one of the best non-bible Bible studies <laughs> 
And those yeah. three guys have not stopped talking about, to this day, they still bring it up, that time that you painted us for Bible study. So oh. there was such magic to that, that none of us saw coming. Um, when, it was, when I was requested to do my very first gallery show in 2015, that painting I returned to. I, was, I knew I was going to recreate that painting. And that's what you are seeing. In front of you. And I, I called it the last snack time uh, because it was literally going to be one of our lines. Snack time. But I saw it totally as being a, a modern version of the Last Supper. So with Peter on the left, Jesus in the middle, and Judas on the right, you've got the three <sighs> guys coursing around, uh, and Jesus with his arms crossed brings relevance to there, and he, he has somewhat of a halo behind him with the window, which is just what Da Vinci's Last Supper has. Uh -huh. um, I didn't want to be too literal with that, but, but it's enough there to suggest it. Judas on the right has set his Coke bottle on top of his Bible disrespectfully. Oh he's my. in charge of the snacks, so he's, he's trying to be controlling, and his, his arm is sneaking around Jesus and tapping Judas I'm sorry, tapping Peter on the shoulder to try and get Peter to, you know, come on, you can do this with me. You can betray him with me. Come on, we can do this. Oh, my. So, so there's Peter's eye looking at the hand like, what do I do? What am I going to do? And the whole time, Jesus knowing face, I mean, look at his face. Yeah. You know what's going on. I know on. what's you going know. on. The expression. So oh, Corby, I didn't, there's so much as I'm looking at it now, I wish I had thought... I wish I'd stared just a minute longer because I'm seeing Peter's eye looking yeah. down at uh, Judas's hand, and uh, oh my, oh my! <laughs> How fun! That, thank you. How wonderful! I'm having so much fun. So this is really just me being <laughs> self-indulgent. One of the paintings that that uh, I was as I went through a lot of your paintings, I pulled up this one um that's called you call, you said it's called jonah and um jonah is one of my favorite stories from the bible um yeah. this particular jonah uh, is very unhappy um and almost has a frog-like sort of appearance there's um he's got a pair of pf flyers it looks like and there's the little plant next to him that's dried up um tell me about about what what made you paint a picture of Jonah? What was it that inspired this piece? Jonah is, he has got to be hands down one of the best characters in the whole Bible. He's I got, couldn't agree more. He is just so funny and so petulant and so petty. Yeah. He's just, he's just so relatable. Uh -huh. He's grumpy and... Of all the prophets, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when things go exactly right, no... <laughs> <laughs> none of it because it didn't go the way he wanted it to go yeah and i i just find so much of me in jonah because of that and you know uh -huh. for centuries people have found themselves in jonah um and this is that moment when that plant grew up uh right over him covered him cooled him off made him feel better and then it withered and he's like he just i can't he doesn't even have words he just has like a noise <laughs> Yeah. Just, eh. yeah. And he just, uh, just like, wait, thanks a lot, God. 
and he is just not happy. And he's just grumpy. I, I think that frog uh, description is pretty apt. Just even, even frogs are happier. Toads are happier. <laughs> So Jonah, for me, uh, the reason this painting uh, resonated with me, um, I, I feel like Jonah, uh, especially, you know, in our context where things are so divided and it's so easy to hate people that we don't understand that think differently than we do. And Jonah was told to go preach and he preaches and the people repent and he really wanted them to die. And <laughs> he's, he's a successful preacher who's angry about his success. And, uh, and I wonder how many preachers have preached to people that they disliked and, and ironically been successful. So yeah, I do find Jonah relatable because there I mean, are people... So successful. I know that this is kind of mixing New Testament with Old Testament, but I understand. This is how I think. He was so successful, even the cows got baptized. I love it. It <laughs> yeah. even says that. It doesn't say baptized, but it might as well. Yeah. So, even the cows, even the cows repented. Even the That's animals. Yeah. God cares about the animals. Oh, it's so good. One more. I'm going to ask you to tell, tell me about one more, and I'll move on to the next question. This is a piece that I just, again, took my breath away. And. Van, yeah, Vanjie and I, I showed it to Vanjie and she just couldn't believe it. It's beautiful. It, it's obviously Jesus and uh, I believe Andrew in a boat with a fishing net. And you called this one, Oh, I'll make you fishers all right. Oh, I'll make you fishers all right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what's going on. Um, actually, this was uh, originally re requested by my father-in-law about 10 years ago, and this is, this, I just painted this one this spring, so this painting isn't that old, but the request is, uh, my father-in-law wanted, it's his favorite story in the Bible, I'll make you fishers of men, and he sees himself, my father-in-law sees himself in that boat, he wants to be asked, and feels like he is asked by Jesus to come along and be a fisherman with me, a fisher of men. Um, so when I finally got around to, to painting this, I thought I just thought it was funny to give Jesus that modern kind of smack talk of of you know what these guys have no idea they're getting into, yeah. and by because we know the the full picture of what happened and what was required of them by by following um, it. That's where it kind of becomes funny. That's where that humor comes in. Um, so this is just that moment when Jesus says to uh, Andrew and is it is it John or is it Peter? I'm terrible. Peter, Peter, Peter and Andrew, yeah, Peter and Andrew. Yeah, yes, Peter and Andrew, and and they're in the boat. The the bigger picture, my my father-in-law's picture, has all three in the boat. Uh, so this actually was my practice that I never got around to finishing. And then when I finished it, don't, don't tell my father-in-law, but I like this one better. Okay, so, good. Yeah. I feel really good about this because this one's coming to our house. <laughs> So I was I was real happy with with the result. I like that tipped boat. It's just uh -huh. a bit off kilter. I like the that yellow color. Yellow is my favorite. Um, I like the halo on. Jesus, I I just yeah. look at this one. I just I I savor this one and I admire uh, who Jesus is in this one. I I think not counting the because there are two of these pictures. Uh, it's really still my first time I've really painted Jesus. 
Uh -huh. um, he's a little he's a little bit intimidating to paint because he has been painted so much. Right. And really, that standard publishing Jesus is the Jesus I know. I try right. to make him a little browner, but he still is. It's funnier to be white. At least he's not blue eyed. It's just a funnier. No, Jesus he's definitely got brown eyes. That's good. Yeah. But I try to you know I try to tilt him that way, but. But that's not necessarily the, the Jesus I picture only by default. That's what right. I've been growing up. That's who I grow up knowing. He's still Jesus. I, I like this painting uh, for many reasons. Um, I think of the eyes of Jesus' eyes and Andrew's eyes. They, they're both saying something slightly different. Mm -hmm. Jesus seems to be knowing. Um, he's sort of got his eyes shifted to the left. And Andrew, uh, he's maybe droopy perhaps a little bored perhaps a little overwhelmed um at what's going on perhaps just not quite exactly sure exactly what's going on and i feel like that makes the 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 title of the painting make sense oh i'll make you fishers all right um yeah you're gonna be fishers you have no idea what i'm saying yet <laughs> So uh, hopefully our, our listeners are able to watch the companion video to this because there's so much here, and, and I'm gonna, there's probably about 30 or 40 different pieces that will be a part of this. Let me ask you um, a little bit about painting. Uh, these have been all folks that you've known or folks that, uh, you know, folks from stories. I've also noticed that uh, in some of your pictures on your social media, you will be doing caricatures of folks and one of them is a caricature and I don't have it up and ready to share here but of a little girl there's a picture of you painting her you from behind her and then there's a picture of her the 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 actual caricature and I've never had anybody that I thought I could say this person trusts me enough to represent them what is it about the experience I to me, that feels like it would be a very personal thing, and I don't want to try to answer this for you, but I'm trying. What is it like to have someone say, yeah, I'd like you to do a caricature of me? And I, these caricatures, obviously, they're your style. They, they, they say something about the artist as much as the subject, maybe more than the subject. But what is it like to sit and look at somebody and have them look at you and try to capture something? What do you try to capture about a person? when you do that it's very intimidating some for some I think it must be yeah it, it can be and there are still I mean at this point I have drawn I have to say thousands of caricatures but occasionally that right person shows up and it's like oh holy crap I gotta get this over with because this person is scary <laughs> <laughs> there are some people who are just so confident in them in their whole being that when they look at me I feel like they're they're just looking right through me, and it's like, oh, just just go. But overall, it now is, that's it, I, I gotta interrupt you. That's <laughs> interesting. So somebody that sits down and they have they have a sense of confidence. Yeah, that's intimidating. It can be. Okay. It can be there. Some, you know, every every single caricature is absolutely different. There are those who have confidence that I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring this right back. You think I can't do it? It turns it around. It's really very mental. And it okay. depends on how long I've been sitting there. I mean, sometimes these, the, it's primarily events that I'm drawing caricatures at. Uh, it, it takes 
some warm-up time. I'm always asking somebody to sit down first and just sit down and be my warm-up. And, okay. and okay. that also invites a crowd when they actually see it's less intimidating if someone is already there. There's kind right. of this magic trick that I have. Um, that's one of them. And if I can get that that warm-up out of me, just get it out. I don't care if it turns out good or bad. That first person I draw has to just be done. Um, and then they start to flow. And there's and there's an ebb and flow to it. There's um, some of the events I have been there, um, some of the longer ones are about five hours. Okay. So, so I mean, and that is a, doing black and white drawings. That is about 25, 25 people an hour, approximately. Wow. So, so, and it just flies. And it's fun, and I love the reveal. Um, I have learned to, not all of them turn out. Some really? of them just don't. And I have learned to just keep going, to stomach it, and turn it around like everything that you are looking at was meant to be seen. I smile, I laugh, it's all a lie. And they, they never know. None the wiser. <laughs> well, that's, that's the beauty of it. That's sometimes the fun of, of doing art. Don't give away your secrets. Don't tell that there are mistakes. Just let it be seen for what it is. And for everyone that doesn't turn out, there's 300 that I adore. And I love that connection. When you're when you're doing a caricature, because I think one of the things about caricatures, at least, is a central idea for me, is that there's a little bit of exaggeration that's happening in a caricature, right? Um, what do you when you what are you trying to capture in a person? What do you, when you look at a person, and obviously everybody's different, so it may be different for each person. But what is it you're looking for to say? I want to try and capture that. And pull that out in this caricature. First impressions are you could it, you could never get it back, and that mm. first impression, that snap judgment, is the thing I grab onto. It's the first when it comes to a person sitting down. It's the first thing I I look at. That's usually what I try to capture because that's the most obvious. Um, sometimes it's jewelry, it's hair. Sometimes it's a nose, it's eyeglasses, or it's facial hair it's i'm looking at you as i say all these things um it, it's it's i'm afraid to see what, what <laughs> i don't want to know <laughs> um it's it's i can't always tell what it is i do know this um the prettier the people the prettier the person sitting in front of me the harder they are to draw i'll be um, real easy then for you I've, you would be super easy to draw <laughs> um but i've done <laughs> We've done events at the university where uh, it's predominantly the sororities and the fraternities that show up. Uh -huh. They're very nice people, uh. but there are there is a sameness to them gotcha. <laughs> that okay. makes it sometimes a struggle to pull out those unique features. But that's not to say it can't happen. It's just a bigger challenge, and I welcome that challenge. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to try to share some of those in our in the companion video to this too. I think a more important question, though, and I want to I want to dig in a little bit to some of your beliefs and some of your you. Um, we've talked a lot about art and about specific pieces. What is it that you think has? Because uh, let me let me start this over. Uh, that when I look at your work 
um, just like when I look at Lily's work or, or, or other artists that I know, there's you're, you're looking at a person. I, I think that there's a, I think that, that when we create, and, and I, I told you this, I told Paul this, I, art is, I think, what we do when we're not killing each other. If I was gonna, if I was gonna try and dig a little deeper, I'd say, art is what we do when we're being most like God, and being creative. So I take the piece of Genesis where he says, "Let's make people in our own image." I take it that all of creation for God, whatever that means, however we're supposed to understand that, all of the creative act for God is there's a reflection of God in what He creates. And I feel like when you, whenever you look at something that someone creates, whether it's a sculpture or a building uh, or a painting or car, there's something about the creator that's reflected in the creation. And and I'm I'm assuming that there are specific parts of your life that is shaped the way you see things, the way you look at things the way you choose a subject, the way something strikes you to paint. What experiences did you have that shaped the way you look at things and the kind of work that you do as an artist? That creating is an act of worship. I never could understand how worship in most people's minds is relegated to a 20-minute moment of singing when it's our entire life, how I live, how I treat people, how I walk every day, how even when I'm grumpiest or hungry, how I respond, that's my worship. And one of my most direct acts of worship is creating, is making art, it's painting, it's, it's teaching. Uh, and it is bringing people alongside with me to do that together. Um, it's, it's amazing community that happens when you make art together. Um, it, it's similar when you sing together with other people. It's one of the few human acts that we all can do together, whether there's two people or 2,000. Yeah. Um, so that there is something unbelievably um, mystical. I hate that word. I don't know, but it's fits of yeah. when people are making art together. I love my art classes that I teach um, because it is that moment. I mean, selfishly, I get to be the one who gets to make art with all these people all the time. Um, and it doesn't even have to be good art. Uh, it's just the fact that we are we are doing this thing together that might have mistakes. It might not look good. It might not be right, but we're doing it together and making this thing that uh, and an hour ago didn't even exist and just 10 minutes ago only existed in our head. And now it is, and it's tangible, and we can lift that up to God. So I, I feel like what you just said, you said it didn't exist. It, it, it existed in my head, and then and now it exists. I feel like a couple of these paintings that we were talking about, you shared what you saw or what you were trying to communicate. And then, and then without even realizing that I was doing it, I was saying, no, no, here's what I saw. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know. I may... I may even be changing it, and I don't know that there's any way around that. Like uh, one of the central ideas, even in my in my research in at in, in seminary, was you know the the difference between what the person communicating, what's communicated, and then the person receiving the communication. You know, there's so much subject, subjectivity 
in all of this. I assume that an artist that can do the kind of things that you can do understands that, you know, just because I've painted a certain way doesn't mean that somebody's going to receive the same thing out of it. It's Is that and, and I have I have learned a long time ago that I know I'm putting it out there. I've got to just let it go. I yeah. can't J.K. Rowling it and all of a sudden change all the characters. <laughs> oh, no, yes. this is not good. Just let it be. It's beautiful already. Let it be. Um, I Knowing that I kind of played with that with one of my most controversial pieces that I ever did a couple of years ago called Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Crow. Um, and there were so many, it, it's based on the events that were happening where so many white people were calling the cops on black people who uh, weren't doing anything wrong except just being American, having a barbecue, right. uh, going to Starbucks, uh, yeah. studying for an exam and falling asleep in a public area of your dorm, these kinds of things. Um, and I, I focused on three, predominantly three events that happened uh, and turned it into a carnival circus kind of scene in which viewers were invited to step up, take a red ball that says M-A-G-A on it for Make America Great Again, and throw it in the face of a black person. Um, oh, wow. it, was, uh, it was horrific. And I knew it, could, it did have that uh, aspect of misinterpretation um, because there are so many people uh, I've come across recently who don't have a sense of irony or a sense of right. satire or a sense of humor at all, and they would think he means this literally. Yeah. And holy cow, no, that's not at all. It's the exact opposite. Um, knowing that was going to be put out there and was destined to be misinterpreted, um, I did run my ideas through um, some of our, our uh, cultural uh, centers at the university and, and asked people who are in the know, people who are doctors, who um, would have a very studied uh, perspective on this theme, uh, to just say, what's the best way I can communicate this awful thing that's happening in our culture? Um, and they really were quite helpful in a way I've never really re required when I'm making art. Um, and so that just brought that much more to that piece. It's a cartoonish piece. It's not, it's not awful to look at. Uh, the horror grows the more you do kind of put it all together and you right. see what's happening. It, you re it reminds me a little bit of the parables, of the way Jesus told parables, right? I mean, um, and I think that when, when he said it, you know, the, they'll see, but maybe not see. Yeah. You know, they'll hear, but they maybe they, they won't understand that there's a... The, and this has been very difficult for me because I I went to seminary because I wanted to be able to make very clear arguments that you couldn't deny. And, and I discovered very quickly that it, it didn't matter how clear the argument was, you can deny it. I'm not sure I believe in clarity that much anymore. Um, yeah, that subjectivity, and we, we, and this is something uh, Paul and I have recently uh, talked about, is um, we're inherently subjective people anyway, that, you know, story is kind of the way we communicate, mm -hmm. 
And it may be that sometimes the best thing you can do is tell a story about people throwing MAGA balls at, at black people. And it may not. It may be that some people would never understand it, even if you could say it as clearly as humanly possible. Yeah. That it, it's not going to come through, but it may be that this way is the way that can can get through. And yet, the people that there were two audiences I had with that piece. Uh, the first audience, number one, were a lot of folks that I'm very close to who needed a wake up call. Uh. They needed to. To it was not a piece that was for anybody but white people mm. <laughs> on purpose to yeah. say knock it off. You need to see what you're doing. Your yeah. actions matter. Your words mm. matter. Uh, the second audience was actually quite the opposite of that. It was my dear my dear friends who are anything but white who I wanted to see. You, you've got an ally, and 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 this is a it's a painful piece but it is a piece for them to see you're being seen and I and see. thank you for supporting this ridiculousness that that does wow. address an issue that needs to be called out and i chose i chose those three people in that piece on purpose because they were doing innocuous things mm-hmm. They were doing things that I think of as uniquely American, like a barbecue, and they were being they were their time was ruined. Someone ruined that for them, and that hurts. Yeah. And that hurts my feelings. And it's it's so it's I can identify with a ruined barbecue a lot easier than I can ruin than I can identify with somebody who has been murdered on the street. That's terrible, but it's but it's so mental compared to what happens right in my heart. And that was where that piece came from. And and we're all experiencing this, you know. On the one hand, we're seeing people murdered in the street, and on the other hand, we're seeing people's afternoons ruined. But who's to say that an af- in an afternoon that's been ruined doesn't hang with a person just as long as losing? Because it it's not just that the afternoon got ruined; it's that something somebody said that I'm not worthy of being in a park and having a barbecue. Recently, uh, I read uh, James Cone's, a group of us read James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, and he quotes Martin Luther King Jr. being sent to the back of the bus and feeling like there was a black curtain between him and his humanity Mm -hmm. and uh, talking about how that shaped him. And those things really do damage people in very serious, very profound ways. I feel like this really leads into... The question I, I wanted, and I, I think you may already have asked it. If you've already answered this, just say, I feel like I already answered it. But how, it, do you? how do you think that art can speak peacefully, but also prophetically? And by prophetically, I mean speaking what God wants for us, for people. I, I love the thoughtfulness of that question, and I think that my answer... I don't, I can't say that art does speak necessarily peacefully. It can come from a peaceful place. Okay. And it can, it can instigate peace. Um, but all of that, all that depends on the viewer and their reaction to it. Some of Banksy's artwork uh-huh. comes from a place where he desires peace. He wants there to be peace 
and he calls out instances where peace doesn't exist. Right. And it makes people very, very angry. Ridiculous stuff. He's spray painting rats. And that doesn't create a peaceful response. Um, yeah. Now, there may be a number of reasons. It's, it still is street art. It still is, in the grander picture, vandalism. But I think it's people are more angry than that it's just vandalism. Um, and that, I think, so I, I don't know if art can create peace, but it can certainly uh, create the, the motivation to bring about peace. I should probably um, clarify that for, for me, peace, peace in my mind doesn't always look peaceful. It doesn't, no, it's messy. No, and, and that's really, to me, the, the role of the prophet, and I don't try to speak of myself or the, you know, what I think Christians should be in, in terms of the kind of Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah or John the Baptist and and not in, in that kind of, of way, but to live prophetically is the, the people that are doing violence are always going to think that you're not being very peaceful. But <laughs> the people that that are doing violence are, are the ones you're confronting. And so to me, the idea of confrontation is not opposed to peace. Now, killing people is not peaceful. Right. But confrontation, and I think this is what, this is the tension in the idea of peace when Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword because I'm going to split you all up. And um, that'd be another painting maybe. Um, I'm going to split you all up. Now, my, my southern friends would be just proud that I said y'all. But because uh, I'm a Hoosier, we say you guys. You guys. Um, but, but, yeah, I'm going to split you up. And, and it doesn't feel often very peaceful, but that's the tension of peace. Yes. That's the tension. Just because you are calling something out, confronting it, doesn't mean, that's because I desire peace. Right. And if, I, if there, must be, there would be peace or I wouldn't call Wait, I'm saying that backwards. If there was peace, I wouldn't have a reason to call this behavior out. Right. And, and really what you're looking for there is, is justice. You're looking to, for things to be right. Because as long as the, the pretending like things are right that aren't right is a false peace. It's, it's somebody else is paying the price for this. For us, it, it's, it's passive aggressiveness. Um, and, and, and oh my gosh, I'm seeing this. I've been seeing that so much on social media currently when people are saying, you know, as, as long as Jesus is my king, then it doesn't matter who's the president. And it's just like, get out of the clouds. There's a reality here that how great for you that you have the privilege to be able to say that when there are people dying, starving, out of work, COVID, in cages, struggling with homelessness. How wonderful for you that you can have a king in heaven while the rest of us have to struggle down here. Right. So now I'm <laughs> That's going in. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. And you're right. The privilege is a huge part of this. And I think that that's a big part of our, of our culture's misunderstanding about what peace is. And I think Jesus, I think Jesus dealt with this too. You know, Jesus could talk about whatever he wanted as long as he didn't rock the boat. 
and the boat and and the boat I'm using here figuratively to talk about the status quo that keeps certain people at a certain level and certain people at other levels. So you know when Jesus comes and he and he shares uh, and and he's spending time with the the people who are lepers or the people who are down the the people who are prostitutes or the people who are uh, marginalized in some way that says something about the structure of the world that he's in and that's why the people that were doing the marginalizing weren't pleased with it and so really to do peace you know we're we're gonna end up speaking about the kinds of of injustices we're gonna again the people that are benefiting from injustice are gonna think well you're rocking the boat that's not very peaceful no you're the one not being peaceful by throwing these red balls at these poor people that are trying to have a peaceful barbecue um, or that are trying to breathe I'm supposed to be asking you questions and here I'm um, monologuing you obviously are somebody with a, a deep Christian faith, a deep faith in Jesus. And I've seen it in your work. I've seen it in your your calls for justice. And, and this really is the last, I think, you know, uh, substantial question I have for you. How do you think, uh, this may be a stupid question, it may be obvious, but how has your faith shaped your your expression artistically? Maybe it's a good question. Jesus is so very real to me that I I have never understood people who have a uh, disciplined quiet time. I've tried it. I can't do it because I'm always talking to Jesus. He's right here. I'm always I'm always sharing with him. He's he's everything about who I am, and he is all those things to me. And he's a brother that I could hit in the in the arm, and then. He's a guy we can go out to have a beer with. Jesus is is very, very real to me. I don't talk about him very much because I don't know if that is ever understood. I don't mm. ever want that to be made fun of because it's so intimate and so special to me. So it comes out as my art. That's That's where I want him to be seen in so many ways. And it also comes out in how I treat so many people that I run across that are that are drastically different from me. I want I want the transgender friends that I have to see that love of Jesus that I see in them. I, I don't need them to be something that they are not. I don't need them to be something that I'm comfortable with. I just need them to know that they can see that love. Um, I've and I could fill in the blank with the number of people who who I approach like that. Um, it's not easy. There are some very unlovable people out there, and there are people I don't like. Um, I will name those names after the podcast if you'd like to hear them. Um, but, we can make a list. <laughs> but um, that's that's who I want them to see is that that Jesus who is very real to me, as real as you are, um, except I can touch this Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we're we're several states away from each other. Someday we'll, we'll be able to hang out. Someday. And, and that, that is my Jesus. And I, I have not, I, I've tried to have that disciplined Christian lifestyle. It's just not for me. But that doesn't mean mine is not uh, any less rich because of it. I'm at the point now where I'm not sure I know what the disciplined Christian lifestyle anymore is. I, 
I think of um, I, I'm not sure to, I'm not sure I know how to how to describe that. But what you're saying, I feel like, and correct me if this is if this is not right, but I feel like when you say you know I it's easier for me maybe if I'm misstating you again, correct me, but. I can I can paint about it because that's when I'm expressing. I feel like maybe that's when you're expressing yourself more honestly or more. It's more direct. More directly. The humor comes out of me too fast sometimes, and the opinions fly even more quickly. And so that's sometimes a mask um, to a degree um, in which that art can't hide it that the, the brush strokes are very real. That's, that's the real thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why, but that's almost, it's not intimidating to let, it's more intimidating to reveal myself as I'm talking. It would be, it's less intimidating to put it out as a brush stroke. And yet that's more authentic. If that mm. even makes any kind of sense. I think so. It makes sense to me because I've spent so much time trying to write. And boy, I can fire off an angry post on Facebook, you know, 50 times a day. Um, but when I'm going to try to write something, sometimes it can take me weeks to write something. And when I get done, I'm always hoping that people will try to get, try to wrestle with it and want to understand it. Um, and, and I have your your poems. I I made the mistake of committing to reading one poem a day at my desk before I begin work. Huge mistake because your <laughs> poems are so so startlingly beautiful, um, oh. and they really they have a, such a, a loveliness to them that it's like oh my gosh, what well, I can't begin my work day trying to hide tears from my coworkers. This is it's well. It's, it's, such a weird dichotomy uh, I'm but, flattered but I am uh, it's a it's a wonderful challenge to be able to use those to kind of center myself for my day and begin my day with something that's beautiful with this friend of mine who who uh, that gets to let me take that moment very selfishly before I have to then get into the demands no one's ever said that anything like that to me before I'm very flattered thank you very much that is um I'm going to, and my wife is up. She had a rough day, so she went to bed early. I'm going to wake her up and say, you wouldn't believe what Corby just told me. <laughs> but I've got it on. I'll, I'll, I'll just share the recording later. <laughs> Corby, this has been such a pleasure. Is, the, uh, is there anything else about your work or your art? I, I, one thing I'd like to, uh, to say is where can people go online to see your creations and Absolutely. if they'd like to purchase them? Um, well, they... I don't have a way of selling them online. The best way to purchase them is to contact me. I'll set it up with you. I know I have a couple of people who've been waiting to hear back from me, so that weighs a little heavily on me to get that taken care of. Um, but if you find me at Corby Blem Artist on Facebook, Corby Blem Artist on Instagram, or even okay. just go to CorbyBlem.com. It's spelled just like it sounds, and that's those are my three most predominant places. That you can find my artwork and connect with me about a piece that you would like. Or We're gonna commissions. I'll, 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 wonderful. We're gonna put those links in the description on the podcast, and I'll also have them in the description on the companion video that we'll we'll have. Um, is there anything else you'd like to sort of throw in at the last? Uh, anything else you'd like to say about your work? Um, I like to kind of give folks the last word before I steal it back from them. 
I, I have enjoyed this immensely. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you that we've had this. Uh, I've, I felt like you have been a friend of mine all my life. Uh, <laughs> as long as my life has only been a couple months long. Um, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> um, I, I do artwork, I do caricatures, and I do workshops. And that uh, is very fulfilling. And uh, thank you again for getting to do something unique. You're my first podcast. Awesome. Well, hopefully I'm not the last. Um, we, uh, uh, Corby, again, for folks, um, Corby Blim is uh, one of my favorite artists. I can't say my favorite just because I also have other people that I love dearly. Um, but he is um, one of my favorites. And his work is fantastic. Please go check it out. Corby, thank you so much for talking to me and indulging me and, and letting me ask uh, my silly questions here. Thank you for your honesty and for the, the thoughtfulness. I, I want to return before I close to you, you said, I paint underwear. And I thought it was so funny that you said that. And it, but it's true. But there's something still profound about the simple and the basic things in our lives. Um, it's one thing, one of the reasons I think you'll love Wendell Berry if you get a chance to read some of his work. But at the same time, it's no more profound than Enunciation, which is a, a young girl looking at a light and being called by God. So it's wonderful. I thank you so much for letting me have this conversation with you and appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.